0: Before Brother Fuller comes, we want to say thanks to the setup crew. Brother and Sister Eckenrod were in charge of this. I know that they worked all day long setting up the decorations. Sister uh, Belinda and company uh, were in charge of this, and those decorations were just gorgeous in there. Also, the kitchen, Bill and Carolyn Thorpe were in charge of this. The cleanup, Brother Tim Knopp and a good number of people, I think they have nine or ten people over there, they were not able to come in here, but we thank them for that. Also for the cooking of the, the turkeys. Uh, Brother Roy Grant and Jim Rivest cooked the, the turkeys, and our ladies then uh, uh, baked the hams. We are thankful for that. Then Peggy Thomas was in charge of the door prize, and then uh, she had Brother Dave Shroud up here helping. Thank you so very much for this. And then the program here tonight, Brother and Sister Leonardson. We appreciate this, Then all the food that you ate besides the turkey and the ham was donated and supplied by your brothers and sisters right next to you. Turn to them and say, thank you. Would you do that? All right. Now, here's, here's one thing. Uh, everyone, when you leave, you're to pick up your dishes in the vestibule. Also, please take a bag of buns with you. We have a lot of buns left over. Now, there will be turkey and ham for sale. The church bought this, so if you'd like uh, to take some of this home, uh, they will be selling this. But we just thank all of you for coming and celebrating this, our Christmas uh, kickoff season with us here at Calvary Gospel Church. Brother David Fuller from Waco, Texas has been a friend of mine many, many years. We went to high school together together also to church together, started preaching about the same time. Uh, He was responsible in part for me coming to Wisconsin, pastored in Minneapolis, Minnesota, did a great work there, and then back in Texas, he's presently evangelizing. Good to have Brother and Sister Fuller with us. And didn't he preach a marvelous message Thursday night, a powerful message. And we want him to come and conclude our program for tonight. God bless you, Brother Fuller, and good to have you with us. Thank you, Pastor Grant.
1: Well, say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's good to be here tonight. I have enjoyed this banquet, all the wonderful food—it's very, very delicious—and everything thus far. Really, been a pleasant uh, two days since we arrived here. We left the cold South to come to the warm North. North, there was ice and snow on the ground when we left, and we all we missed our flight. Dallas-Fort Worth because of the snow and ice. Folks just not used to it down there. And we come up here where it's nice and warm. Praise the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful weather today. Praise God. So it's been a, a delightful uh, change of climate for us. Amen. That you would normally expect going from the south to the north. But thank God for the warm weather that you're having here. Praise the Lord. Uh, certainly appreciate your pastor and the wonderful work that he He has done here in this church and you with him, this fantastic ministerial team that works with him. And uh, Brother Grant has made his impact upon this state and upon our world, I believe. Praise the Lord. And God is using him and is not through with him. Amen. Uh, Great things in store. I would like to read some scripture found in the gospel of Matthew, the uh, 12th chapter, verse 18 through verse 21. I really don't have a Christmas message as such uh, tonight. I really intended to speak on a different subject, but it seems like ever since we arrived that the Lord has really dealt with me about this, so I want to uh, bring this to you for the next few minutes. Of course, Christmas is Christ, Jesus, and when we preach Jesus, amen, that's The important thing about this time of the year and every day of the year. All right. Do you have Matthew chapter 12 and verse 18? Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man Hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Notice verse 20 again. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not Quench till they send forth judgment and the victory. We want to talk tonight about the bruised reed. Amen. Before you're seated, would you go to the Lord in prayer with me and let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the, this portion of the meeting tonight. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be assembled, O oh Lord, on this joyful occasion of this joyful time of the year. And Lord, we thank you, God, for your mighty presence that we feel. Lord, you know every heart tonight. Lord, all of our lives, we have all been bruised at one time or another and have needed your healing touch upon our lives. Minister, O oh Lord, to those who may be bruised tonight. Minister to each of us, we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Before you sit, we turn around and greet your neighbor and shake the hand, give them a warm smile, and then shake and tell them it's good to see you in the house of the Lord. Praise God. Good to see you, House of the Lord. All right. Praise the Lord. Amen. There There are more quotations of the Old Testament in Matthew's gospel than any other gospel writer. Matthew quotes the Old Testament many times. We know that he is writing to show that Jesus is the king of the Jews. We know that Jesus is the savior of mankind. He is God made flesh. Many prophecies in the Old Testament, Isaiah quoted in describing Jesus Christ, and that's what the gospel is all about, the life of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. There are numerous passages that he could have quoted from the Old Testament, but there was something about the passage in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 3, that Matthew felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to include this passage when he was writing about the life of Jesus Christ. So when Matthew was recording this great and glorious life of our Lord, it came to his mind what Isaiah said. When he comes, the Christ, the Messiah, he will not break a bruised reed, nor will he quench a smoking flax. We wonder what it was about a bruised reed and a smoking flax that the Lord would not break or put out that reminded Matthew about the ministry of Christ. And Matthew was with the Lord, one of the disciples. He had been known as Levi, and the Lord called him to follow him, and he did. And Jesus named him Matthew from that time forth. And as Matthew, years later, was writing this glorious gospel, he he brought this scripture to us. He will not break a bruised reed, nor will he quench a smoking flax. What is it about the life and ministry of Jesus that he would include this passage in this great life of our Lord? I love to study the Word of God and really to understand many passages we need to know something of the customs of the day, the people that lived in Bible times. And and many scriptures in the Word of the Lord are very difficult for us to understand today because the way of life that they lived is foreign to us in our modern society. So unless we can go back and read some history and, uh, and research and find out what exactly was the prophet talking about, What did God have in mind when he put it first in the mind of Isaiah to speak these words talking about Christ who would come 700 years in the future and what was it that would cause Matthew to reflect back on it after Christ had lived and died that he would say this about him? A bruised reed would he not break? Reeds were plentiful in the land of Palestine, now the part of the country where Your pastor, his wife, and uh, I grew up. We can maybe relate to that. Sister Fuller came from Wisconsin. But um, in our neck of the woods, as we call it, Texas, we had what we called cane breaks. Usually grew in marshy areas, and uh, these canes were fishing poles. You go out and cut down a cane, have a fishing pole. It It was hollow in the middle. You all have seen fishing canes. Well, the reed was something very similar to this, only it was uh, not as durable. It was more a flimsy type material. And it seemed that a shepherd, many times when he would uh, entertain himself and comfort the sheep, he would have a flute made from a reed because he could cut down one of these reeds about a foot section out of it and punch holes in the side of it, maybe on some on the top, and make a musical instrument, a flute. And at night, when he was watching over the sheep, if there was the howling of the wolf or the roaring of a lion that would frighten the sheep, then they would be calmed as they would hear the shepherd on the hillside playing a song on this flute from made from this reed. I, I can picture the psalmist David, the shepherd boy, composing psalms out on the hillside of Judea near Bethlehem. I I can picture him putting a tune to the 23rd Psalm that God gave him. Many hours the shepherd would would entertain himself and comfort these sheep. But because the reed was very flimsy in nature, it wouldn't last very long. It would begin to crumble and begin to fall apart. And because reeds were plentiful... He could easily discard this and go down by the brookside and cut another one and make another flute. But it seems that the shepherd was sentimental and would become attached to this reed, this flute. He no doubt would remember the many hours, the loneliness, and the tunes he'd played. He'd remember the night that the howling of the wolf had frightened the sheep. He would be very reluctant to throw this reed away, though it was though it was bruised and breaking up and falling apart. So what he would do, he would find some grass, some very fine, thin grass. And he would very tenderly wrap that grass around this reed. He did not want to throw it away. He would bind it up, the breaking reed that was falling apart and he would tie it together again and the reed would be good as new why did the lord have this put in the bible for us about his ministry that he wanted us to think about him he would not break the bruised reed all of our lives at times were like this reed we've all been bruised by sin by temptation by struggles, by sickness, by different things that come our way. And we see some people struggling in life. And we may think, well, their life is not going to amount to anything. But what the Lord longs to do, he longs to lovingly take that life in his hands and bind up that life with his strong love. And he wants to make spiritual symphony and music out of that life to the glory of God. That's what God wants to do. I've seen many bruised reeds in my life. I've seen many people who have been more or less discarded by society. Many people have given up on them, thinking that life has passed them by, never going to amount to anything, been bruised, torn apart. No remedy for their life. But there's one who would not give up there's one who wants to take the person like that in his hands and make something and develop something out of their life. There are people tonight that maybe who had known the Lord and who once served him and have fallen away. And sometimes we, we might think of people in this church family connected with this church that maybe used to sing in the choir Or teach a Sunday school class. But they're no longer here tonight. And they should be, but they're not. And we think, we look at them and maybe their life has become all uh, entwined with the things of this world. And we think they're never going to mount anything again. But the Lord has not given up. He doesn't break bruised reeds. He doesn't discard bruised reeds. He wants to take them into his hands and put their life Together again. He's the only one that can put the life together again. And then he said, A smoking flax shall he not quench. What was it about a smoking flax? Now, some of you might can relate to this, and I'm probably going to date myself by telling you this. I know that I will. But I can relate a little bit to what he's talking about a smoking flax. When I was a little boy growing up, I lived in a rural area. Of East Texas I can remember and really I'm not that old but I can remember electricity coming through our part of the country. I can remember when we had the old kerosene lamps down in Texas we call it coal oil lamps but kerosene lamps. I was the younger brother too old had two older brothers. I remember many nights as we get ready to go to bed, my mother or my dad would say to older brothers, Glenn, Dean, blow out the lamp. And they would walk over and blow out the lamp. I was a little kid, about five years old when we got electricity. I said, Mother, let me blow out the lamp. No, 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 you're, 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 you're too little. You may knock it over, start a fire. When you get big, like your brothers, you can blow out the lamp. Man, I thought that was the epitome of manhood to be able to blow out the lamp like big brothers. One of these days I'm going to be able to blow out the lamp. You know that day never came because electricity came through. And then just walk through the room and flip a switch or pull a cord and you had lights. Never did get to blow out the lamp. But I can remember as a little child. There were times, you know, when the globe of that lamp would be kind smoky and sooty inside. You know when that would happen? It's when the oil had burned low in the lamp. And because there was not much oil in the lamp, the wick, the Scripture here calls, calls it a flax, which they would use for a wick. It would, be, it would begin to burn. It would get all burnt around the edges. And when this happened, the... The lamp would not give off much light. It gave off a lot of smoke. Now, some of y'all can relate to that. You you remember those times. Now, this, sitting over here in this section, y'all can't relate to that, but you can relate to it by my experience. I'm telling you. And so, you know, what would you do? Wicks don't cost very much. You know, it's very easy to go over to the lamp, you know, and put it out and pull the old wick out and put another one in. And have light. In those days, in Bible days, lamps were a little simpler. Lamp was a a, a little bowl. And they, they would pour some oil in that little bowl. And they would ignite a piece of flax. And they would drop it in that bowl of oil. And that was the lamp. When the oil almost burned out, the whip itself would begin to burn get all sooty, and the house will be filled with smoke. Someone come through, throw out that wick. We'll get another one. House is getting full of smoke. But the Bible says he would not quench a smoking flax. That was a time in my life when I maybe gave off more smoke than I did fire. There are times in people's life that their life is just a semblance of what God wants it to be. You look at people, you see them everywhere, walking the streets. You see some people in jail, some on drugs, some addicted to alcohol, some maybe just life is meaningless to them. They haven't really found purpose in their life. There's there's just a wisp of smoke there, a reminder of what this life could be, but hasn't met purpose, hasn't Met destiny. And it's not really giving off any light. You see, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And then Jesus said about us that you are the light of the world. A lot of folks not giving off much light. A lot of folks giving off some smoke. Every now and then there's just a little wisp going up. But not a whole lot of light. Well, discard that thing. Let's get a new wick for that lamp no the man or the woman of the house was reluctant to do that I'll Tell you what we'll do and some of you older folk can relate to this there was time called it's time to trim the wick What do you mean trim the wick Well you'd take it out of the lamp and you'd cut off those old rough burnt edges and you'd cut off that wick real smooth and You'd pour some fresh oil in that lamp and ignite that wick. And you know what? It was as good as new. A smoking flax shall he not quench. What is it about that? I'm sure you've already made the connection by now. Life to many people is like that. Their life is not what God intended it to be at this point. Some say, well, give up hope. It's never going to be. They're never going to meet their destiny. Look somewhere else. Give up on this group of people. Give up on that one. But the Lord, the Bible said that Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said about him 700 years before he came in Isaiah 42. And Matthew recording his life said, no, he won't quench a smoking flax. I I like what the contemporary English version says of this verse in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. Maybe if you can put it back up there. Uh, for us, but I'm I'm going to read it from Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, the contemporary English. Listen carefully. He won't break off a bent reed or put out a dying flame. Is your flame just have a flicker, just a little hope of what God wants your life to be, just a reminder every now and then? Well. Some people say, it's never going to be anything. But the Lord says, oh, I can make something out of that life. Notice what, I want to read it from another, the New Living Translation. It says, he will not crush those who are weak, nor quench the smallest hope until he brings full justice, this final victory. I like that. He will not crush those who are weak. Sometimes people give up too quickly on folks. They're weak. They have no resistance to temptation, have no resistance to to sin. Uh, Give up on them. But the Lord doesn't. He will not crush those who are weak nor quench the smallest hope. If there's just a wisp of smoke every now and then. And the fact of the matter is that people come to church. You're here tonight. Maybe there's someone here you feel like life has no hope for you but the fact that you've come there's a little smoke and you know what the lord wants to do oil is symbolic of the holy ghost the lord is saying just let me pour some fresh oil into this vessel let me pour some of my spirit into this vessel and let me ignite this life once again And they're going to give off light for the glory of God. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on yourself. You may feel like you're battered and bruised. But the Lord hasn't given up on you. The devil is the accuser. And in fact, the word devil means accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. You know who he accuses? He accuses God to you. God doesn't love you. Hey, that's the voice of the accuser. God does love you. He will say, oh, this church doesn't care about you. That's the accuser. That's not God. The church does love you. That's why they have an open banquet. Invite everybody to show the love of Jesus Christ. But you know what? That's not all. The accuser will accuse you to yourself. Oh, you've really blown it. God doesn't love you anymore. You know... Hey, God! even God's given up on you. Hey, you, you have messed up so bad. You'll never amount to anything. You might as well hang it up. You might as well throw in the towel. You might as well surrender. Hey, that's the voice of the accuser. That's not God. He doesn't crush those who are weak, nor does he put out a dying flame. I remember... Several years ago, when the Lord began to deal with me about this passage, I used to get the names of the visitors who had been to our church the previous week, and I would go and call on them and invite them to church. And I discovered as they prepared the cards for me to visit, picked them up at the church office on Friday, Saturday, when I got ready to go visiting, I discovered there was a person who had visited our church who lived three blocks from my house— three blocks away. So that was the first person I called on. So I stopped by this house, and I rang the doorbell, and a lady came to the door. And I said, I'm Pastor David Fuller, the First Pentecostal Church I'm looking for. And I called the lady's name, and she said, that's my daughter. Would you please come in just for a minute? And so I came in, and she said, my daughter is not here, but I'm so glad you stopped by. I want to talk to you have some questions to ask you. So I sat down in the living room, and she said, you you don't know us, do you? I looked at her, and I said, no, I'm sorry. Am I supposed to? She said, well, I thought you might. I know you're relatively new in this area. She said, you see, my, my husband and I were in the ministry, and we pastored a United Pentecostal church about 50 miles from here south of here. And she said, we got discouraged, we resigned our church. We attended another church for a while. They had moved there from the state of Indiana and said, you know, we got so discouraged. We were so wounded that after a while we just dropped out of church. And she said, you know, it's been almost five years since we've been in church. And because of being discouraged and being wounded and being hurt, we we've kind of, you know, sorry to say, but we've kind of gone back to some of the old lifestyle. But she said, you know, there's one thing I, I don't understand. And maybe you have the answer. I said, well, what is it? Please tell me. She said, you understand, it's five years since we've been in church. She said, but many nights, in the wee hours of the morning, she's my husband, he's a sound asleep. He wakes me up. And my husband's laying there in a deep sleep. And he's speaking in tongues in his sleep. She said, can you tell me what's going on? I really didn't have adequate answer for the lady. And I went back to the office and I began to pray and seek the Lord for this couple. And the Lord directed me to this passage of scripture. Some people look upon these folks a has-been, washed up, never amount to anything else. No good, bruised, discarded, trampled underfoot, smoking flax, maybe just a little semblance every now and then, a, a, a reminder of a light. That's not how God looked at it. During the wee hours of the morning, the Spirit of God visited that home, and the Spirit of God was moving in this man's life, trying to breathe life into him again, trying to bring hope, and that man, again, even in his subconscious, even in his sleep, for you see your spirit, your body sleeps, but that spirit, you see, God, even when we're not aware of the presence of God, and we come to church like Ellen, like this sister sang tonight, and the youth choir sang, we felt the spirit of God. We knew that God was here, but there's times in your life when you don't even feel God. And you think, God is nowhere around. Oh, yes, He is. He's very near. And the Bible says we can feel after the Lord. He's not far from many of us. He's right nearby. He's right close by. There's a scripture I want to read to you from the book of Amos, chapter 3 and verse 12. Amos three twelve says, Thus saith the Lord... As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria. What was the prophet saying? At the time of this writing, the nation of Israel was in captivity to the Assyrians. Their cities were controlled by the Assyrians, they had been plundered by the Assyrians. That the residents of these cities had been deported and lived in a foreign country. It seemed like the nation would never be revived and never amount to anything again. But God sent Amos the prophet and said like this, as the shepherd looks at the mouth of the lion and sees two legs or maybe just a piece of an ear, he will take out of the mouth of the lion. Just those two legs or just a piece of an ear. We don't understand it, but somehow or another, God can put that life together again. God doesn't need much. He just needs us to be yielded to Him. And with every scripture in the Bible, I believe there is a literal. Trans uh, interpretation as well as a spiritual application. The spiritual application of this is the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking who may devour. Maybe your life has been all but devoured. Maybe you're just about gone and you think hell is waiting for me. Judgment, the lake of fire... And maybe the church or some people look at you and say, might as well give up on him. The devil's already destroyed that life. Maybe all that's sticking out is just maybe a piece of an ear, so to speak. But Jesus doesn't give up. The good shepherd doesn't give up. He snatches out of the mouth of that lion as he's ready to snatch you out of the jaws of sin and temptation. And he can put your life together again. Praise God. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he can take someone addicted to drugs Someone addicted to alcohol. I don't know how he can take a, a murderer on death row. I don't know how he can take someone who has aimlessly drifted through life, no purpose, no destiny, it seems, no, no, nothing in their life to, to really desire. But somehow the Lord, the Good Shepherd, reaches into the mouth of the lion, out of the mouth of the devil, and says, That soul is mine. I'm going to put it back together again. Praise God. That's what the Lord wants to do. A bruised reed shall he not break and a smoking flax shall he not quench. Oh, my life is bruised. My life is torn apart. But he won't destroy those who are weak and he won't put out a dying hope. Right now, let's lift our hands to the Lord and praise him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, dear Lord. Praise the wonderful name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God loves you so much. If you only knew how much God loves you, if you've never known the Lord, He loves you. If you're one who's backslidden and drifted away, the accuser says he doesn't love you, but God loves you. If you're discouraged and you think, Well, I shouldn't be this way, and you beat yourself up with guilt and and the accusers there, I want to tell you tonight. He will not crush those who are weak. He doesn't put out dying flames. He will reignite your life, praise the Lord. And he will put together your life again. I want you to stand right now. Praise the Lord. The thief on the cross. You remember what that thief said to Jesus? They both called out to the Lord and and accusatory terms right at first. Oh, if you, if you, who you claim to be, save yourself, save us, come down from the cross. But after a while, this one thief observed something that the other thief failed to notice. He never, this one in the middle cross never railed on his tormentors. He never spoke back. He prayed for those who were tormenting him. And this one thief, in his dying moments, he looked over at the Lord, and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I believe the Lord, that that old thief on the cross, that old dying sinner, I believe he was saying two things. Obviously, he was saying, Lord, you're about to come into your kingdom. These people think... These people. This is what the man was saying. These people think they're destroying you. They think they're killing you, and all the hopes that all the people had in you of, of a kingdom. But, but they don't realize it. But you're you're just about to come into your kingdom. And when you do, Lord, I want you to remember me. Don't don't forget me. I, I, I want I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want you to remember me. Recall me. I'm crying out to you now. And, and Jesus turned to the thief and he said, "Today." This day, the moment you die, you're going to be with me in my kingdom. That was the obvious thing that the thief on the cross was saying. But I believe there's something else that's not so obvious. He was saying, Lord, remember me. They tell me in the old English that remember is the opposite of dismember. This old thief was saying, Lord, my life has been torn apart. I'm ripped up from crime. I've been bruised. I've been chewed up. I've been spit out. I've been torn up and torn asunder by sin all of my life. And when you come into your kingdom, I want you to remember me. I want you to put my life together again. The Lord can remember you. Oh, he never forgets us with his mind. He's always aware of us. We need to be reminded of that every now and then. But what I'm saying to you tonight is the Lord, it doesn't make any difference. You may feel like you've been pulled up and pulled here and jerked there and pulled this way and torn and and bruised and all that. But tonight, the Lord can remember you He can put your life together again. Doctors can't do it. Thank God for doctors. Psychologists can't do it. They got their work to do. But only the Lord, only the Lord can remember a life. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to turn the service back to the pastor. And let's look to the Lord right now. Father, we thank you tonight in the name of Jesus for the precious Spirit of God that is here. Lord, I thank you for everyone that is here. I thank you for this church, this pastor, his wife, ministerial staff, and membership body. Lord, that love this community and love mankind. We thank you for the visitors that are here. Lord, we're reaching out to you. We're holding people up before the throne. We present people who are bruised. We pray for them, Lord. We pray for those who have been dismembered, so to speak, by by sin and destruction. And we cry out to you, Father. Remember them. Put lives together again. In Jesus' name. Would you just reach over and take your neighbor's hand or put it on their shoulder and right now just pray one for another as the Spirit of God is moving in a very, very special way. The Holy Ghost is ministering in a wonderful way right now. In Jesus' name, send healing. Lord, send healing. Amen. You you won't break a bruised reed, O Lord. You won't quench a smoking flax. You won't put out a dying flame. You won't break those who who are weak. In Jesus' name, help them to reach out to you by faith. In Jesus' name.
0: That's it right now. Just turn your needs over to the Lord, would you? As you pray one for another, put your cares right in his hand. As we close out this service, turn it over to Jesus. Are you turning your needs over to Him? Sister Vicki, sing it again. Turn your needs over to Him right now. Oh, God. Now, would you like to step out and come on down to pray? If you'd like to do that, you can end this banquet service by just coming to the altar and praying. Oh, thank you, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, your cage to the Lord, oh, your needs to the Lord, oh, God, that's it, several people have come, why don't you step out and come on right now. And why don't many of you saints come and pray with these people. Step out and come on and pray. Bring all your kids to the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's it. My Savior, my Savior, yes, God, we love you. We worship you, God. We praise you, God. God, you're just so, so good, Lord. You're so, so good, God. This is why he came into the world, to help you, to save you, to put you back together again. the lord oh hallelujah 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 god you are so so good we love you lord so much oh thank you god thank you god thank you god If you have to go, you can consider yourself dismissed, but please remember our service in the morning, 10 o'clock tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. We trust that you'll have a great Christmas season, but remember, Jesus loves you, and he's the reason for the season. There are people praying here, so if you need the fellowship, make sure you go out in the vestibule. Now, we do have those free buns that you can take home and a few items out there for sale. But God bless you, and thank you so much for coming and being with us. For our guests who are here, we're so delighted that you came. God bless you.